following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. As always, you have your co-hosts here, Alex Fishbein and Mike Bash. And this time we bring back Wahaj from the Back to the Basket Podcast. What's going on, Wahaj? Nothing much, man. Just getting the NBA season started, watching a lot of games. Probably going to, you know, not catch as many games as I am now because I'm putting off friends and family, but here we go. <laughs> hey, that's it, when the season starts, that's what you got to do. Friends and family go to the wayside at that point. Especially yeah, at the pace. Yeah, at the pace that the NBA is playing. Got to watch those games. Come on, we, we all know the priorities. It's basketball, family, and then friends. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the the start of the NBA season so far has been pretty exciting. I mean, we've seen some overtime games. The Nets have been in a few uh, games that come down to the wire. The Sixers were in an overtime game last night that they saw Blake Griffin drop 50 points on them. Um, which games have you know been your favorite so far, and, and which teams have you kept your eye on the closest? Uh, we'll start with you first, Wash. Uh, you know the Pelicans, how they started putting up 149, and uh, I mean, I know Miritich was hot for a while. I don't know, he cooled off a little bit last night. I think he gave 18 and 12, but he had a couple of 30-point games. So the Pelicans have been a, a bigger surprise for me than Detroit because Detroit has played, um, you know, all three games were decided by six points in total. So it's been close, exciting games, but... I feel like this team's going to drop off a little bit. They're not going to win. I wouldn't say they're going to win more than 40 games, but I think Pelicans look like a real threat out West where um, teams are so closely put together in the standings that somebody has to, um, you know, kind of get the, uh, get the ball rolling on those standings. And I think the Pelicans might even finish top three or top four when it's all said and done. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you there. The Pelicans are kind of a team that we slept on coming into the season, and I saw an interesting stat last night or a couple of nights ago that since the Pelicans got Miritich, when Miritich and Anthony Davis were in the lineup together, they were winning at a pace of like a fifty-six win team. Miritich really changes the game for them. He's a great shooter. He could play multiple positions. But another, uh, and it was an under the radar pickup that we really didn't discuss this summer. Julius Randle is playing great basketball outside of L.A. and playing with Anthony Davis, another Kentucky guy. So I really like what the Pelicans are doing. I don't know if they can keep the pace up. But obviously, they're not going to go 82-0, and and I don't know if they're going to keep up the pace of 56 wins. But this is a team that can challenge for, like you said, a top-four position in the Western Conference. Yeah, referring to when we did the Southwest Division recap uh, or the preview for the upcoming season, um, I was really high on the Pelicans over the Spurs, and it kind of—I mean, the Spurs are not fully healthy, so we, we we may not know what they look like until maybe January, February. Um, uh, granted that Dejounte Murray probably won't be back for the entire year, so you know, Pelicans have really kind of gotten ahead of that whole uh, pack of uh, mid-tier playoff teams in the Western Conference. Yeah, um, I mean. Uh, along those lines of um, them having a good signing in Julius Randle, their pickup of Alfred Payton has proven to be pretty nice as well. Um, he already got himself a triple-double in the second game, I think it was. Um, so, I mean, Alfred Payton playing alongside Drew Holiday has been uh, very nice. I mean, a lot better than I expected it to be. 
Um, but yeah, Julius Randle, I just saw someone tweet earlier today, actually, I forget who it was, but they said that, um, he's already, you know, way up in, uh, field goal attempts, uh, points, rebounds, assists while playing less minutes than he did in Los Angeles. So, I mean, if Julius Randle can keep up that kind of production, I mean, that's going to be amazing. Um, but I mean, even if it drops just a little bit, that's still pretty great in terms of, uh, what the Pelicans can get out of him. Um, yeah. And the crazy thing is it's only been three games, but the Pelicans are averaging like 120 points a game or something. It's something crazy. I, I don't know. I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but like they're putting up and a team that like, I feel like in years past they weren't a team that played at such a high pace. Yeah, I'm sorry. They're averaging 132 points a game. That, that's like that's like yeah, that's Phoenix Suns Steve Nash days, where <laughs> you're just up and down the court. You have Miritich having averaging 28 and 10. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, again, three games, small sample size, but Pelicans. Everyone was putting them as a seven seed, a eight seed, a six seed. They're playing right now like they're gonna win their division and I gotta look at who's in that division southwest so you got the um what is it? you got the Mavericks you got Spurs Spurs Grizzlies Rockets okay so the Rockets will probably win that division but the Pelicans are gonna make it tough so it, they're definitely the surprise of the uh, early going in the regular season the Denver Nuggets obviously we talked about all summer long um and how high I was on them and they they looked like would you guys agree they've looked like the best team in the NBA so far? Uh, you know what? Surprisingly, on the defensive end, I think they're the top team in the league. Again, I think the whole episode, we're just going to talk about small sample size. So <laughs> I'm just going to say it one more time. But Paul Millsap back being healthy has been really big for them. I don't know if you guys caught many uh, Nuggets games, but it's been it's been refreshing to see such a good offensive team with so much talent plays such good defense, even though Will Barton went down, and I think that was going to hurt them a little bit in the long run, even though Torrey Craig, who somebody I'd never heard of, really filled in the role really well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, I would say they are up there definitely for looking like the best team in the NBA so far. Um, uh, to me, honestly, I would say it's between the Nuggets or the Raptors. Um and uh, they they just have so many interchangeable pieces, like so many great complementary pieces. And actually seeing them be this good on defense so far has been very promising because one of their biggest knocks last year was their defense. Uh, guys like Jokic, who everyone kind of ripped on for being like a, a tissue paper on defense and guys just going right through them. It's nice to see them kind of, uh, you know, correcting some of the things they've been criticized for. And, of course, their offense was never in question. Their offense was something that everyone knew was going to be very, very lethal, and it's looked that way so far. Uh, if Barton can stay healthy, that's going to be great. They still haven't even had Isaiah Thomas back yet, so we haven't seen what that's going to look like for their offense. Um, not that that's going to really help their defense much, but uh, it should make uh, the offense off the bench pretty electric. Yeah, unfortunately, I think Will Barton's actually going to be out for like two months uh, or, or six weeks, something like that. They said he's going to be reevaluated in six weeks. So the loss of Barton will hurt, but they, they have so much talent there, and they have some young guys that, like like you said, Tory Craig, who played well. And I don't know if they're going to get when they're going to get Porter back, but they have they're deep in talent where they could they could um, withhold or withstand the loss of of Craig. Uh, I'm sorry, a Barton for a few months, but uh, yeah, they, they've gotten off to a roaring start. And like, like you said with Toronto, we, we mentioned it last episode, they're a 60 win team or a 59 win team that got better. They brought in a healthy Kawhi Leonard. Who's looked every bit of a top five player that he came in being. And Danny green has fit well into that system. And, and the rest of the core is still there. So there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, I want to mention to you, Alex, though, because we did talk about uh, the Pistons a little bit and Blake Griffin putting up 50 points on your Sixers. Yep. I also want to mention that he dunked on Joel Embiid, and when he tried dunking on Jared Allen, he got swatted. So that just <laughs> confirms that Jared Allen is a better player than Joel Embiid. 
Oh God, here you go. <laughs> as soon as as soon as I saw a notification on my phone pop up, and I saw the words uh, "Allen greater than Embiid," I was like, "Oh God, here we go." So I'm watching the Nets game tonight, and they have a graphic, and it was like NBA players to put up like 15 points, 10 rebounds, and two blocks in their first two games, or something, some weird, you know, Elias Bureau stat, right? Mm-hmm. There's a list of eight guys. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, Dikembe Mutombo, Artis Gilmore, uh, I don't remember the other couple guys, or other Hall of Famers, and then Jared Allen. So, um, obviously, <laughs> just saying, as a 20-year-old a rim protector that he is, he's on the Hall of Fame track just by the company that his name is being put out there in. Just, <laughs> just wanted to put that out there. The Nets already found their their Hall of Fame center, so we're all good. It, it's, there's a lot to be excited about in Brooklyn. I mean, if we're going along those same lines, that means Trey Young might be the next greatest of all time as well because of his 35-10 and 10 game where the last rookies to do that were only LeBron, Steph Curry, and Allen Iverson. Uh, that that's talking small sample size. So <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. Um, one thing I want to get into is how bad are the Cleveland Cavaliers really? Oh, like God. they look way worse than I, than I could have imagined. I mean, Kevin Love has just not showed up at all. He Didn't... seems like a shell of himself. Well, Didn't I was, we... I'm sorry, you go. Uh, I was watching the game just a little bit before we uh, got on here to, to do the podcast and uh, Richard Jefferson asked like midway through the fourth quarter, he was like, when was the last time Kevin Love even took a shot? And I forget who their other commentator was, but he said, uh, he was like, it wasn't, it, it's been since the second quarter. So like Kevin Love, who should be the go-to guy on this team, didn't even take a shot in two quarters and they're getting destroyed by 20 plus. Like, I, I don't, I mean, there's obviously still some pieces that they, they have to wait and see what, how they're going to turn out. Like Colin Sexton has been okay, uh, like slightly below average, but there's a lot, you know, I, I feel like the learning curve for a point guard, especially a rookie point guard in the NBA is uh, like drastically large, uh, especially compared to, you know, uh, I'd say like maybe a wing. Um, whereas, you know, if you're a wing, there's a lot of different play types you can go with, but for a point guard, like you're expected to almost run the team. Um, so I think there's a lot of, uh, moving parts that, you know, we still have to wait and see about Sexton, but the rest of the guys, it it really just looks like a lot of veterans who wish they were playing for a championship contender, but now that they're on this team, they're kind of like, ah, you know, we'll just do what we do and go through the game. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I was watching the game earlier, obviously, as a Nets fan, and you could just see the body language in some of the veterans, like J.R. Smith now, who's shocked that J.R. Smith is disinterested in a losing team. But it just looked like some of these guys were like, ah, oh, LeBron's gone, and we got Colin Sexton running the show. Who cares? You know, and that was – it just – it's a bad look, and it's, a, it's an unfortunate look because, yeah, the Cavaliers were – the Eastern Conference champions for the last four years, they lose one player, granted, a top-five player of all time, and they're just non-competitive. They're losing games by 20 points. They're getting blown out by the Nets, which, yes, the Nets look okay, but the Nets are not the Houston Rockets. So it, it's that, that team's going to go through a big change. They're going to sell off all their vets. They're going to trade Hill. They're going to trade Smith. They're going to trade... Thompson, if they can, like they're just going to trade whatever whatever they can, get picks, get get cheap guys, get off these contracts off their books. But the body language is something that just it's alarming because yeah, you could see it watching the game that people are just disinterested in this team. Uh, the problem is banking off what you just said. They're getting spanked by teams that have no business beating you by thirty points, like. The Atlanta Hawks should not be putting up 135 against you. And I understand the defense wasn't the pivotal point last year either. I mean, there was big issues even with LeBron on the roster. But I think the main issue here is 
that the Cleveland's future does not look bright to me at all. Like when you look at teams like the Nets or the Hawks, they have something to bank on for the future. The problem with the Cavaliers is that they've handed out all these bad contracts that it's going to be really hard to get rid of these. Tristan Thompson, like you mentioned, JR, nobody would want these for the price tag they come with. Also, they just re-upped Kevin Love for, I don't even know, $140 million or $130. I don't know what the exact number is, but when you pay a guy that much, you expect him to produce like maybe, you know, somewhere along the lines of Blake Griffin. I feel like Kevin Love was going to be more dominant like the Minnesota Kevin Love, but I'm just not even seeing a shell of himself, which is really surprising and kind of disappointing because I really enjoyed his game. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Love, back when Kevin Love was in Minnesota, I mean, he was, like, in the argument for, like, top three, top two big men in the entire league. Um, I mean, he was putting up 20-20 games, like, regularly. It was scary. And I know, you know, like, you you get older, things change, I get all that, but... I thought that some of that mentality from his Minnesota days might come back if, you know, LeBron and Kyrie and them left and now he's the top dog. But it seems like he still has the same mentality of being the number three option when he's supposed to be the number one. And uh, it's it's it sucks to watch. I, I don't know about that so much. I mean, I, I haven't looked into it, how he's played, but I've seen it. Like, they showed a graphic tonight. Yeah, he has not putting up twenty twenty numbers, but he's been putting up double doubles every game. So he's not, but his usage rate is back up to like higher levels and not being the third option. Um, but there's just not enough talent around him. They had role players that supplemented LeBron James. Now they have role players around Kevin Love, and it's a different game for them. But I want to get into a young player, um, Wahaj. I know you're a Dallas, Dallas Mavericks fan. And I know you had some excitement for Luka Doncic. Now that you've seen him for whatever, it's been three, maybe four games now where they're playing their fourth game. What are your early impressions on the young rookie? Yeah, you know, this is very fitting because uh, Trey Young and uh, Doncic are going at it right now. It's a very close game. Anyway, so I feel like, you know, we are seeing what we expected I don't see anything surprising right now. And it feels kind of weird to say because he's a rookie, but he's not really a rookie because he plays like a veteran with his playmaking. And, you know, he starts off slow, which a lot of like, you know, seasoned veterans kind of do. Like he doesn't, his game doesn't like jump off the gate like Trey Young maybe, but it's much more about like feeling out the game and kind of making the right plays. And that's what's most exciting to me because. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. hasn't looked like the guy that would be doing that moving forward. So for them to be playing together and Dennis Smith Jr. kind of cutting and playing off ball has been really, uh, really fascinating and interesting to watch so far. Yeah. Um, uh, Luca, I mean, he he's my pick for Rookie of the Year. He has been, honestly, before the draft even started. <laughs> um i've i've really enjoyed watching him play i mean he has these these like separate plays that you watch and you're like that's not a rookie kind of move like some of his of his passes some of his you know court vision is just like that doesn't look like a rookie especially not a 18 19 year old rookie um and you can see like how much it has helped him playing um you know against grown-up professional competition when he was like 16 17 years old um and it, it it makes it fun to watch him and dennis smith jr alongside each other um the only thing with like the rest of the team is that you know some of them are kind of like eh, I, you could do with them you could do without them like uh deandre jordan is definitely the perfect big man to pair alongside them um, someone who doesn't really, you know, need to have the ball in his hands on offense. He, he's a, you know, one of those lob threats. But some of the rest of the team is kind of like, I don't know. There's uh, obviously they're not in the stage of let's compete right now. So there's a lot of moving parts that are kind of like it'll look better as the years go on. Yeah, I can see. I mean, they're 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 a team obviously that's not looking to compete this year. They might compete for. 
I don't want to say they can compete for an eight seed because the West is so tough. If they were in the East, they'd probably be the eight seed or close to it. Uh, but it's um, what do you call it? It's uh, it's a team that has some veterans, has young guys. Obviously, the future of the team is Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka Doncic. So, oh, yeah. the more they gel together, the more reps they get together that's going to build a stronger foundation for the future. And it's, I'm not a Mavericks fan, Mahaj, but I would assume you at least have some, a little bit of excitement moving forward. I'm looking forward to the future. Just not looking forward to this season because it's not going to be pretty. They're still trying to figure out everything. And Harrison Barnes isn't back yet. I think that, and I, I don't say this often, but we kind of miss him a little bit because, um, Dorian Finney, even though he's good, he just can't replace the production that Harrison Barnes brings. And we also have Dirk Nowitzki out, which uh, a sentence I never thought I'd be saying in 2018-2019. You mean mean to tell me that you don't usually miss Harrison Barnes? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Uh, I'm not going to comment any further. I'm going to stand by my player. Um... It's it's very fascinating to see the Mavericks compete for the entire game but lose at the end. They did a lot of that last year, and I feel like a lot of that's going to happen this year. Um, speaking of, they're losing to the Hawks, and it's like 10 seconds left. So another close game gone. Right. I mean, that, that's pretty much what the Nets have been in the last couple seasons as well. I mean, obviously it's been two different situations, but you know, you're it's just at that stage of rebuilding where – you have a team who can compete, who can hang around with some of these better teams, um, but you know they just don't have the experience to really pull it out in the end. Um, and that's, I mean, that's perfectly fine with the stage of the rebuild that they're at. So I think that's you know kind of par for the course. And as like a, like we were saying, like next season probably it's going to get a little bit better as soon as they uh, sign some guys and replace some of the the um interchangeable parts yeah so agreed there but um i want to bring up this interesting little tidbit uh now this team i'm just going to go through some of the star players on this team jason tatum kyrie irving gordon hayward al horford and then you got guys jalen brown terry rogier marcus morris whatever if you heard that roster coming into the season after four it's four games small sample size would you believe me if i told you they are the lowest scoring team in the nba right now no not at all with guys like kyrie irving jason tatum and gordon hayward the 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 celtics haven't gotten off to that you know blazing start everyone thought they would they did beat philadelphia but then they lost to toronto and they lost to orlando now, toronto at toronto it's an excusable loss i mean that's fine nobody's gonna hate you for that but they got beat on home court, on home floor by the Orlando Magic, who are led by youngsters and centers. And so that was an ugly game. I mean, they can't. The Magic can't shoot. The Magic really can't. Don't have guys that can dribble. They just have centers and power forwards. <laughs> and somehow, Mo Bamba, their top five pick, had zero points. And yet they still beat the Boston Celtics. They like they muddied the waters. It was like a it was like a old school NFL game where you know th- uh, three yards a in a cloud of dust kind of basketball is what what they played. It was just ninety three ninety defensive battle and and it's shocking because that's where I thought Brad Stevens would be like his best. He's a guy who just draws up play after play after play, and it, it, somehow it it just didn't work for them. I mean, so is this an overreaction? Uh, I'm not. Uh, anyway, I'm um, not. I'm not trying to say that they're in trouble. I'm just saying it's it's a shocking start. You thought maybe you know this team would be getting off to a start like the Raptors or like the Pistons or like the Nuggets, and they're two and two, and they're the lowest scoring team in the in the NBA. Well, okay, so I have a follow up question to what you just said, and I completely agree because we thought that Boston is clearly a top two team in the East, if not the favorite to come out of the East. Um, but my question would be, because there's so many new pieces that they're 
integrating back into the system do you think that like what's your level of worry like on the scale of one to ten are you at a five or maybe a six with this team not being able to put it together no i'm I'm at like a three if i'm being honest I'm, i'm not worried about the celtics uh i don't really worry about them with the system or with integrating new players because of how good brad stevens is it's just i think it's a it's just having a couple off nights in the early going uh, you know, obviously I wasn't one of the, when they play Toronto at Toronto, one of those two teams has to lose the game. It's not football. They can't tie. It's really just the shocking loss to Orlando. And, and it happens if this game, if this happened in January, nobody would say anything because the middle of the season could have come on a back to back or whatever. But, you know, you would think on home court first few games of the season, they'd be, they'd be able to handle them. So yeah. I, yeah. Am I overreacting a little bit? Yeah, I am. But I'm not worried about the Celtics. At the end of the season, they're either going to be the one seed, the two seed, or the four seed. So it's not it's nothing to worry about. I, I just wanted to point that out because, um, you know, they were everyone's favorite to win the East, and things aren't going, like, hitting the ground running just yet for them. Right. I mean, <clears throat> it took Kyrie Irving a couple games there to really get going. I mean, that first game against the Sixers, Kyrie Irving was pretty much non-existent. Um, and then on top of that, Jalen Brown is the one I think who has been affected the most by the return of Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Um, Jalen Brown isn't even averaging 10 points. Uh, I know, like we've been saying, small sample size, whatever, but you know, he's been very lackluster, uh, and just watching him so far, he kind of looks like he's still searching for that, uh, that niche that he can fit into now with those guys back because I mean when Hayward was out he was pretty much playing the Hayward role uh and now that Hayward's back in Hayward's getting most of those minutes again and Hayward's playing his way back into what he used to be it seems that Brown is kind of trying to figure out how he can compliment him rather than do the same thing as him um, and so far it hasn't really worked out much, uh, but I, I, I don't see that continue that trend continuing. I think Jalen Brown will definitely figure it out because of, um, how versatile he is and how, how important of a player he is to this team. Yeah. He's one of those guys who I think, especially with how deep this team is, um, his impact's not going to be felt in the box score. It's right. one of those guys where he's just going to make two or three plays a night where it's like, wow, like he's a great player. But when you look at his stats, he might only have eight points and four rebounds. Right. So, um, but that just spe- speaks to how deep the Celtics are and how little, like I said, we don't have to be worried. It's a it's a three on my meter of that. But I just, wanted to, I just wanted to bring it up, just a, you know, something to talk about there with the Celtics. But so, so Alex, the uh, Sixers. Yes. Markel Fultz not only hit one three-pointer this year, but he's hit two now. So last night, I really liked what I saw from Markel Fultz. With Ben Simmons out, I was really, really hoping that Fultz would show some confidence in the fact that it was like, all right, Ben Simmons isn't playing. Like, it's it, you got the keys. You're the point guard. Let's do it. And it looked like he took, he stepped up to the challenge. The only thing that frustrated me, honestly, last night with Fultz was Brett Brown not playing him in the fourth quarter. Like, I, I, don't get me wrong. It's very well documented that I love TJ McConnell. And Brett Brown played TJ in the fourth, and I was like, okay, I mean, it's, that's all right, I guess. But when you have a guy in Markel Fultz, when you say you're committed to playing him, you've been showing that like you're not scared to keep him to like start him and everything, even though he's been struggling a little bit with his confidence and everything. For a guy who actually like came into this game, looked looked very very good, looked really confident to not even give him like at least some playing time in that fourth quarter to try and see if he can you know help the team win, I, I think was kind of dumb. Um, but I, I, so far I've loved what I've seen from Fultz. It seems like each game he keeps, he continues to get more and more confidence, which is something that, you know, is, is really all you can hope for. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, out of the two threes we saw, we saw him, one was off the dribble, just stepped into one, knocked it down right in front of Zach Levine, and the other one was just a corner three catch and fired it off and made it. So, I mean, it's promising so far. I, I, I love it. Now, if only they can get Ben Simmons to shoot threes, then they'll be unstoppable. <laughs> hey, I mean, he said it himself. He's never going to be the guy that just starts shooting threes like crazy. So, I mean, if if one of the two can at least start hitting threes at, at a decent clip, I think it'll be fine. At least one of the two. So, obviously, the biggest story of the offseason, LeBron James going to the Lakers. Right. And they're 0 and 3. Now they play the Phoenix Suns tonight, which Love it. should be a win because we all know they're not going to win tomorrow when they play Denver. Um Did you see this coming from the Lakers? I I mean, I expected the Lakers to start slow. LeBron James every time he goes to a new team, they always start slow. But 0 and 3, losing what two games on home home court? Uh, again, I'm not trying to overreact. I, I think they'll be fine when the season comes to an end. But uh, yeah, I think you know, it, the 0 and three. They're hopefully going to win tonight so that they can get off the schneid. But uh, things aren't always uh, sunny in Los Angeles right now, or in Hollywood, I should say. If you don't want to overreact, I will. The Lakers suck. <laughs> no, is that is that because you're mad that LeBron didn't go to? go to uh philly or oh is that no an honest assessment not at all uh I, i'm i'm really not mad at all that lebron didn't come to philly um but in all honesty uh i just uh, th- like a lot of people have been saying oh this lakers team is better than the Cavs team we even talked about it as well and it, it it definitely looks like that on in terms of potential in terms of like you know on paper and everything um, but so far, like, there's still a big learning curve for a lot of these guys. Like a lot of them, you know, really haven't, uh, been in the league all that much, maybe a year, maybe two years. And there's still a lot of learning that these guys have to do. And it, to me, I, I was looking up some LeBron stats the other day. And so through these three games, he's put up like 65 shots already. Um, and the last time he did that in the first three games was uh, when he was on the Cavs the first time in the 06-07 year and it, I think 07-08. So uh, the last time he had to, you know, try and produce this much offense was when he was with those crappy Cavs teams that we all love to say he had zero help and everything. So um, the, the the Booby Gibson, the Larry Hughes, and Zadrunas Agaskis days. Exactly, exactly. That was the last time he had to put up all these kind of shots. But back then, he was also shooting better from three point. This year, he's shooting a whopping fifteen point two percent from three point, and he's attempted I think close to twenty threes. It was somewhere between like seventeen twenty threes. Um, so, uh, there's still a lot to, you know, for this Lakers team to get used to. I mean, the whole team is pretty much different uh, aside from, you know, the main young guys they kept around like Kuzma, uh, Ball, Hart, um, and Ingram. The, the rest of the guys are pretty much all different. They weren't here last year. So there's a, a lot of things that they have to, uh, you know, fix or correct as time goes on. And you know they're struggling when one of the guys who's been the best person on the team has been JaVale McGee. Uh, <laughs> JaVale. Like, I'm just throwing that out there. He is uh, – don't get me wrong. Props to JaVale for uh, really playing well. Um, and, I mean, he's been hitting threes too. I think I – th- if I'm not mistaken, I think JaVale McGee has hit more threes so far this year than LeBron James. That would be shocking. <laughs> well, Hosh, what have you been seeing from the Lakers? You know what? I was surprised that they let go of Julius Randle. I'm going to bring that point up again because okay. up front, they just look terrible. Kuzma at the five is not the answer. Javel McGee always plays limited minutes, so they really don't have a big. And I know Michael Beasley 
could come back and maybe play. I think he's injured right now. I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, he's not in any way more than a stretch four. So I'm really like this Lakers squad going into it. I had a lot of questions about them and they still are standing. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be a work in progress, like it always is. So, Alex, I want to bring up an interesting point. I, um, I was playing 2K the other night, and right. I was using one of my historic Nets teams. Now, yes, I'm probably a little biased by the Nets, so I'll, I'll admit that. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> but that being said, I was thinking. So with all these small ball, no position or positionless basketball type lineups, I was using the Nets team, and the Nets team has Jason Kidd, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn, Kenyon Martin, and Richard Jefferson. If the Nets ran those five guys out, so Kidd at the one, Kittles at the two, Jefferson at the three, uh, Van Horn at the four, and Kenyon Martin at the five, how do you think that team would play in today's NBA? And is there any other lineups from the old school days do you think would have suited better in a different era? Um, I mean, I, I like that lineup. Uh, obviously there's a lot of guys that can, you know, swing to different positions there. Um, I think the, I think the only, the only difficulty with that lineup is that, you know, Jason Kidd being the amazing point guard that he was, like, in today's era, he would get ripped for not being the best three-point shooter. Um, but on a team But he, like, ended up, he ended up being, like, a top five three-point shooter by, by makes in his well, career. True, true, by makes, yeah. Um, but as far as percentages go, it was... It got better. Don't get me wrong. It definitely hey, got he, better. He came into the league as ace and kid because he had no J, and he left the league as a, a Hall of Famer with a J. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely give that to him. Um, but I think that that lineup would work quite well in today's NBA. I mean, that that's kind of like what the prototype was, especially if you added um, the Nets team with Vince Carter. Um, oh yes, I think that one would probably be even better. Uh, if you ask me, if you take out probably Kerry Kittles and add Vince Carter, yeah, I, I think that would be a perfect lineup for today. Especially, I mean, young Vince Carter could do anything. Um, and Vince Carter himself has turned into a better shooter. I mean, he's when he's gotten older, his three point shot has gotten better and better. So, um, I I really like that lineup. Um, in terms of other historic lineups. I'd have to think about that because I know, I know the Iverson one would not do well, um, because really nobody on that team was that good of a three point shooter. Um, I feel like the uh, the old Kings teams with like Weber and Christie and Bibby and I mean Divock, but and Peja, I feel like that would have been a good lineup. That's very true. That lineup probably would have been pretty good. I mean, overall, obviously. The I think in my eyes the best lineup that we're not we haven't talked about is Detroit. The oh yeah with uh, Tayshawn Prince and Rip Hamilton and Chauncey Billups. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean they won a championship, so by all means it worked out. But the fact that they had you know you had four guys that could defend one through four, and then you had um what's his name Ben Wallace at the five. But I want to give you a little side story. I saw a kid, I was at a I was on lunch the other day at, at work. Mm-hmm. And I saw I saw a kid wearing a Ned Kristich jersey. <laughs> I I was very tempted to go up to him and give him a compliment on a jersey. I didn't because I was at lunch, but uh, it was a, it was a shock to see. I, I, I'm a big jersey collector, and I like to see all those old school jerseys. But I, I definitely didn't expect to see Ned Kristich. Hey, that's that's reaching back into the vault on that one. Um, I, didn't, I didn't even know they mass produced those. I, they might not have. He might have gotten it customized. <laughs> for all for all we know. Um, so speaking of uh, speaking of Keith Van Horn. Oh, where's this going? Remember, remember, <laughs> you remember? Uh, I told you about a player on the Nets, a rookie, Rodon's Curix. Yep. He reminds me of a young Keith Van Horn. Ah, uh, I could kind of see that. 
Um, I like I like his play. I mean, we we traded uh, the pick that got Hamadou Diallo for him, but I like Kyrix. Uh, he's smooth. He's twenty. He's young. He's long. He could shoot. I, I'm seeing a little KVH in him. I, I'd like I like that comparison. I mean, he has uh, he has been a bit of a surprise because just because you know no one really expected much out of him. Um, and I think he's fit well into that team. And I was going to tell you, I was when I was watching the Nets right before coming on, uh, coming on the podcast. I I saw Musa finally getting in. Yeah, he hasn't really played much. It's a uh, that's been disappointing. But he's young. He's nineteen, and he's probably going to see some time in the G League when it's all said and done. That's probably what's going to happen once the G League season starts. He'll get some. He'll get some run. Yeah, he'll um, probably be one of those guys moving up and down. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like, I think one thing that I might say about all this uh, historic team discussion that might make you happy is that those Nets teams that got blown out by the Lakers in the the finals, I think if you put that Lakers team in this era against the same Nets team, I think they, will, they do a little bit better just with the, with the run and gun style that they would play. I think it wouldn't be such a mismatch in this era than it was maybe in like 2002 or 2003. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Shaq and Kobe dominated that series. And obviously they probably still dominate, but the way the game is called, the way the game is played. Yeah. You had guys like the, the Nets could really space the floor back then. But yeah, like you said, it was just a different style of game. And I would agree with that. I don't think they'd win. Um, it is Shaq and Kobe, so I wouldn't I wouldn't give the Nets a chance to win there, but I think they'd probably win a game or two instead of getting swept. Yeah, or the run TMC era would do really well in this Ooh, game. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I do like that team. That's a good call. Also, I think the um if you took that Raptors team that had Vince and McGrady, I think they could do some damage. I don't think they would be like a championship contender because of some of the other pieces they had around them. But I think they could be probably like a Milwaukee Bucks type in this era. Mm, that's interesting. I could see that. Yeah, I yeah. like them. Yeah, I like them. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Maybe um No, I yeah, I like that run TMC team. Um, yeah, team... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was only going to bring up the the Warriors with uh, Mullen and um, Hardaway. Um, who else did they have? Mullen, Hardaway. They had a, who's their point guard? I'm missing someone. There's a big three there. I can't oh. think of it. Mullen, Hardaway, and someone else. Oh, Mitch Richmond. There oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I like that team. Yeah, I mean, there's a, we can go through this for forever. There's a bunch of teams. That would have played well now, but um, yeah, I just it was something I, I was playing. Like I said, I was playing 2K. It was something I wanted to bring up, see what your thoughts are on that. Um, but just to, just to kind of wrap up about the Atlantic Division, um, have, have any of you guys' prediction, predictions changed now that we're a week into the season from what you've seen? Um, I wouldn't say predictions per se, but. I think Philadelphia has a lot of unanswered questions on both ends of the floor. Is that a fair statement to you, Alex? Oh, yeah, definitely a fair statement. And I think a lot of those begin and end with where Fultz is going to be by the end of the season. I mean, he looked really good last night. Oh, yeah. 14 and 6, I believe. He was 6 for 9, hit a 3, you know. Uh, stayed on the floor for. I mean, he doesn't finish games. I don't know how, what that does to his confidence, really. But I understand why Red Brown's um, leaving him on the bench to close out games because JJ was just on fire, really. Oh yeah, uh, and your power might have went out when I was talking about it, but um, I, I do. I, I was kind of upset that he didn't put that he didn't leave Fultz in for the fourth quarter last night over TJ um, because. I mean, he he looked the best he's ever looked in the NBA so far last night. Um, and, you know, with that kind of confidence in that game, I think that that's the time that, hey, let let him be in the fourth. Let him let him go and, and see what he can give you. Uh, put him in there with Redick 
and, you know, see what kind of looks you can get with those two. Like, running a pick and roll with Fultz and Redick, I mean, you can't really lose with that. I mean, it, his passing game still hasn't convinced me all that much. So maybe Brett Brown's thinking is that we need a playmaker out there because Ben Simmons wasn't ready to go because True. of his injury, what the problem was. So from that mind, from from that mindset, I think Brett Brown made the right call to have TJ because you know he just gets you in your sets and and your plays much quicker. Right. And Fultz, uh, in close games, we just don't know how he's going to react with a shot. He might, you know, uh, the pressure might get to him in those last two minutes because the game was back and forth. Oh yeah. Uh, until Joel Embiid kind of made it personal. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Joel. I think he's going to be great. But I think he made that game about himself when it needed to be about the team. I agree. And, and I think he does that uh, against a number of teams. Like, I, I think he does that against the Heat a lot when uh, when Whiteside is out there. I, I think he has those battles where he thinks, like, okay, I need to do this myself and show everyone and show the Twitter world how amazing I am. Um, and, and those usually do get frustrating because those kind of uh, – like spurts usually end in a lot of turnovers. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree that, you know, with TJ out there, it's going to make your offense run a little smoother just because TJ's the guy that can really be a, uh, a type of floor general if, if Ben Simmons is not there. But um, my thing is, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to show everyone and tell everyone that you have this confidence in faults, then you're going to have to put him in at the end of the game at some point. Like, and, and personally, I think I would rather that happen in the beginning of the season um, instead of towards the end of the season when maybe, you know, you need a couple wins to get a certain seed or you need a couple wins to even make the playoffs or whatever it may be. Um, I would much rather it happen in the fourth game of the season, leave them in there at the end. Hey, if you lose, you lose, but, uh, you're at least getting faults that time in the end of in, in the crunch time and seeing how he holds up. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this is, yeah, like you said, this is the time that you need to get him reps and get, figure out who's going to be the right guys in the right situation. Cause you know, like the Sixers are going to make the playoffs. They'll be fine. Um, but I think there's promise with Fultz. I think uh, the the fans, um, are they still giving him the old, uh, he gets the ball and, oh, shoot, 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 and then he passes yeah. it off. Yeah, that, that's that got to stop for him. But uh, no, I, the Sixers will be fine. The Sixers got um, a lot to look forward to this, this season. But I know Ben Simmons got hurt last game. Is there any update on that, or is, is he going to be all right? He's playing right now. Uh, oh, yeah, he's back. Yeah, yeah he's okay. start, he started in this game against Milwaukee, um, cool. in which he already has six points, five rebounds, and three assists after one quarter. So, Well, the good thing is for uh, <laughs> good for us, uh, not so good for Wahaj, is he's going to have to see a lot of Ben Simmons next week when we play him in fantasy. Oh, yeah. We got that dynamic duo of Ben Simmons and Nikola Jokic. You know, I accidentally drafted uh, Andrew oh, Wiggins over Clay. Um, they were right, right. Uh, like Andrew Wiggins was underneath Clay, and I accidentally pressed Andrew Wiggins, and I I regretted it. Uh, that was like the worst pick I ever made. Um, <laughs> the, you know, old, not, the old, the old, I regret. I made a mistake that. pick. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not crying over or anything. I'm just saying, like. He could be a twenty twenty five uh, producer all season, but he just looks so disinterested. Like I'm not a fan of his play, so I just you know I never I don't know I have this weird rule like I hate drafting guys that I really don't enjoy um, their play. So it, it was it was weird, but I mean Clay's been kind of off uh, to start the season, so I'm not too unhappy about that pick. Yeah, we actually got Clay. <laughs> that's what that was <laughs> yeah um we got clay uh but i i did knock um i did knock so i let so i let uh alex draft and i did knock some of his picks like shaking chris middleton over uh bradley beal and cj mccollum but we also picked up a former mvp today we picked up Derek rose who has uh had 16 and 5 with three rebounds i mean that's 
I'll take that stat line any day of the week. Oh, yeah. Uh, Are you guys already uh, picking up, guys? I haven't made any changes to my roster. I'm just letting it play out, see how my team is right now. Uh, I had an injury to Chris Dunn. I think he's on my team. So I'm, uh, is he on my team? I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Uh, I'll tell you in a second. No, he's not. No, he's not. I have okay. Paul George. Paul George has been kind of disappointing so far. I mean, Oklahoma has been disappointing overall, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason I picked up Derrick Rose is uh, uh, I had Colin Sexton, and I was like, I don't know. If he if he does start to get better, it's going to be, like, way later in the season. So uh, with how hot Derrick Rose has started and how how well he's been playing, I was like, I, I like this, this change of uh, Derrick Rose for Colin Sexton. And, I mean, we have Kevin Knox, who now is out for, like, two to three weeks as well. Um but we have a waiver claim out there to swap him out as well. Um, but we, so. we can't we can't tell you that secret information. Yes. Um, no. Because you know that's that's game changing moves that we're making. We can't have you taking our <laughs> waiver. <laughs> it's, it's very early in the season, but I'm glad you guys are uh, you guys are keeping on top of it. Oh, the yeah. funny thing the funny thing that I found is we we, we called the league the Harris McConnell Cup. Obviously, for two of our favorite players. Yet, both players are currently unowned in the league. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only a matter of time before you pick them up, right? Uh, yeah, oh, hey, Joe Harris had like 19 points today, I think, or 16 points. He he was stroking it from, de- from deep. Uh, I'll tell you right now. He uh, he had 16 points today. He had 19 points the week before or the night before. He scored double digits every game. I mean, he, he's 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 looking like he needs some um, people rostered. So, I mean, Joe we, Harris might be the next guy uh, if if we don't get our waiver claim. We, no, I mean my my whole thing is that Alan Crabb coming back. It's going to be really interesting to see if like he takes over his minutes or Joe Harris retains whatever he's been playing lately. Well, they started Joe Harris tonight and they took Alan Crabb off the bench and Alan Crabb went zero for seven for zero points and two rebounds. So, uh. It's going to be a while before I think Alan Crabb overtakes anything Joe Harris does. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and we always have an open roster spot technically because we, we ended up drafting DeMarcus Cousins in the last round. So, I mean, technically we can always swap him out because he's going to be out for a long time. Yeah, that's a playoff pick for you. That's yeah, of course. of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was looking ahead. Like, last pick, like – we already got a decent decent team here. I'm just going to go out on a limb here, go with Cousins, and, and bring us home at the second half of the season. Yeah, my last pick was Jaron Jackson Jr. I think uh, I, I like him. That. I like Jaron like Jackson. Him. I put a lot of stock on him because, obviously, now it looks really well because Jermichael Green went down, so he's paying, he's playing heavy minutes. Um, I'm not happy about my center because uh, I, I was punting that category. Um, so drafting Brooke Lopez felt a little wrong, but I did it anyway. Um, <laughs> and then I got DeMontis Sabonis uh, as my backup. So DeMontis has been really great, uh, better than Brooke Lopez for sure. So I don't know. Uh, I might have to swap out Brooke Lopez uh, in the next week or so. <laughs> Uh yeah no he's been good and I, 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 one one guy we have uh, we have two teams uh, we have Brook Lopez on our other team but we have two teams that we're playing with the one guy I want to bring up we haven't talked about on this really at all on this show um, Zach Levine has been playing and at an unreal level to start the season oh yeah he do you all, do you all own Zach Levine yeah in uh, in another league we do. He's had three straight 30-point games, and he's got 26 tonight. Did, did anyone see this coming? Was he, like, I don't remember him putting up this, this kind of, yeah, obviously he hadn't put up 30 points a game before, ever in his career, but I'm saying, I don't even remember him being that big of a scorer before the injury. Uh, yeah, he, he averaged 18 points a game his four, third year in Minnesota, and now he's up to 32. Obviously, that will come down, but Zach Levine... And uh, Chris Levert, is there anyone else that you guys see that could be uh, most improved? I'll let you start with that, Wahash. Ah, that's a tough one. I don't know. The reason why Zach Levine has been so uh, – and he's been effective too. Like his field goal percentage is off the, off the chart. 
Um, what's fascinating about him is that, you know, on the Bulls, nobody can really score. Chris Dunn is out. Lori Markkinen is out. I mean, your top two, top three players are out. Jabari Parker was supposed to be better than what he's doing out on the floor. Wendell looks good, but apart from that, I don't see the scoring coming from anywhere else. So I feel like Zach Levine's got to score for this team for it to even be slightly competitive, which it hasn't been. Um, for most improved player, I don't know. I think, you know, on opening night, and this is a weird selection for me, but Devin Booker looked really good. Like he had taken like a major step up from from as good as he was last season, but he's kind of cooled off a little bit. I don't know. Going into it, I think he might be he might he might even average, I think, a thirty point for the season. That that's a possibility, but I can't really think of any other guys besides that. Yeah, I mean, um, besides my pick of most improved for Markel Fultz, which he'll get there, uh, Karis LeVert and um, and Levine definitely look like the the top candidates so far. Um, I guess you can throw in Miritich. Yeah, but I don't know Miritich. Uh, well, he's I, averaging twenty eight and ten, so if he keeps that up, he might win the MVP. But uh... <laughs> I mean, yeah, if he if he continues averaging twenty eight and ten, like definitely, uh, I would hand him most improved on a silver platter. Um, but uh, he's just one that I don't see keeping that kind of production up. Um, I can definitely see guys like Karis Levert and guys like Zach Levine continuing this kind of streak. Maybe not at like thirty points a game, but you know something relatively close to that. Uh, and then if I had to, you know, like one of the guys that was sneaking up in the back of my mind as, as a most improved could also be Tatum. Um, Tatum leads the Celtics in scoring and rebounding so far. Uh, he's at like 17 and seven, I believe. And I think he finished last year, like 12 and five or something like that. Um, He's another guy that I could see for most improved, especially if he starts averaging in the 20s. Um, and then after that... Uh, I guess Alfred Payton is the guy. Alfred Payton could be another one. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other people in the West because everyone I've been saying for most improved has been in the East. Um, what do you think about Julius Randle like he Mike mentioned before? I mean, he could be a guy who coming off the. I mean, six man maybe, but he's right. improved a lot compared to how much uh, playing time he was getting in Lakers last year. No, you're right. That's one I did forget about. Julius Randle could definitely be up there, especially with the fact that he's producing more than he did in Los Angeles with less minutes. Um, so, well, so far, uh, I, I think he is definitely one you got to put in that conversation as of right now. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, candidates there. Uh, I'm gonna stick with my net guy's prediction just because he's a net. Right? <laughs> so I'm gonna stick with Levert. Um, but yeah, I, I think the four or five of the guys that we just named will be be there when it's all said and done. When you get to the final three voting, so um, I think Levert. I think the I made this prediction on Twitter, and I'm gonna stick with it now. I think the Brooklyn Nets will produce an all-star from this roster this year. Whether it's Levert, Allen, or Russell, I think one of the three of them will make it to the all-star game. That's you're my saying, bold prediction. You're saying make it to the all-star game this year? This year. Okay. I think you're hedging. You got you to pick one. <laughs> All right, well, fine. I'm going to go with Jared Allen. But, yes, yes, I agree with that. But, uh, yes, that's my prediction. Jared Allen will be a 2008-2019, or whatever it's called. Yeah, 2019 NBA All-Star. Put it in the books. Okay. I, I mean, I uh, I do like Jared Allen. He is one of the guys that I've been uh, advocating for since they drafted him. So I, I would love to see it. Um, that would be that would be awesome. So, um. As far as hot takes go, I don't think I have any for this episode. Not one? Not a, not a six? Not a TJ McConnell one? <laughs> I mean, I can always say TJ McConnell's going to get MVP, but, you know. 
or, or TJ McConnell is going to put like uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo on a poster. Like you're not going to give us anything. If he puts anybody on a poster, I think I would. You're buying that poster. Uh, well, first off, obviously. I'll get a whole canvas of that thing, like an entire wall-sized can. Like I'll get a fat head of it. Um, but if he actually posterized anybody, like I would, I would retire from anything basketball related. <laughs> just, just to give you an update, real quick, Zach Levine tied. Oh no, he didn't tie. Um, he has thirty points again. The game's tied with five seconds left. So that's his wow. fourth straight thirty-point game to start the season. Hey, I mean, I'm. I, Maybe he cools off. Yeah, he might cool off. I, I just honestly, I just really like the fact that he's out there killing it after the injuries he's been through. I love seeing some of these guys who have had like really tough injuries, especially like tearing ACLs when you usually, uh, when the player usually is not like never the same. Um, I love seeing them come out and and do this kind of stuff uh, and just go out there and and score like. Like I've, I feel like everybody at this point is cheering for Derrick Rose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. I know. Uh, I know your boy Scoop B has been pretty high on Derrick Rose. I've seen him tweeting about him a lot. So uh, oh, yeah. the love's out there for Derrick Rose. Everyone's rooting for him. Everyone still thinks he's an elite point guard. So at least for our fantasy team, I'm hoping for that. Hey, I'm always down for that. <laughs> hey, I got. I got to bring something up. I just read the the box score for the Bulls game. And this is really, really – I never expected – Cameron Payne is 8 for 12 from three-point line. He's 24-5-4 in 31 minutes. I don't know. This is a career game for sure, right? He can't replicate this production ever again. I don't think so. He might just retire and go back to dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's funny because as soon as – like. Every time on Twitter I see, like, oh, campaign's starting again, everyone's like, no, why? Like, we're going to lose again. And I'm like, dang, like, just let the guy, like, play the game. Just, <laughs> why do you have to be so hard on him all the time? Uh, his plus minus is still, like, negative eight. <laughs> I don't know. Even, with, I... even with eight threes? Even with eight threes, he's a negative eight. I, I don't know. <laughs> this guy, um, man, the Bulls roster, they're running on thin ice. Yeah, uh, the, I mean, in all fairness, I don't think most of these guys on this roster will be there come whenever they decide to take that turn into, you know, competing for the playoffs. I don't know if this is a hot take, but I think Fred Hoiberg's not going to be there for long. Oh, I completely agree. Um, I Honestly, I think he might be gone by the end of the season. Is that a prediction? I don't know about that. I'll put my stamp on it. I'll say he's gone by the end of the season. So we got Jared Allen as the uh, all-star. We got Fred Hoiberg getting fired. It's up to you, Wahaj. What's your bold prediction here to wrap up the show? I can't top those two. (laughs) Come on. You got to throw us us a bone if you're going to come on the show. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith going to be a a three-point shooting winner in the all-star weekend? (laughs) Give us something. I see what you're doing. I'm not going. I'm not going to go in the Homer route. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Kawhi Leonard wins the MVP. Oh wow! Bold prediction, man. Bold prediction. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna stay true to. So, uh, time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. So you're not gonna go with the Homer pick, but you're a Toronto guy. You're from Toronto. I'm not, you're a Mavericks fan. Toronto guy, but I currently reside in Toronto. That's so what I'm I mean. Gonna... You live in Toronto, so you don't go the Homer pick. You just take. The player playing in Toronto to win the MVP. That's a homer pick if I have ever seen one. You know what? I'm going to defend that a little bit. I'm not biased for the Raptors. I just like, I think this guy is really good. Um, He put up 35 again tonight, by the way. Um, So I don't know. I feel like low key, um, he could easily be top three. And uh, if he he creeps up in top three for MVP voting, he might win it. Even though Anthony Davis... I immediately thought of him as soon as I said Kawhi Leonard, and I'm like, maybe I'm regretting this hot take, but I'm going to stick with it. Well, picking Giannis wouldn't really be a hot take since he's the betting favorite, so I'll give you credit there. Thank you. I do like that pick, though. I like I'm that just pick. making the guys happy for my podcast, really. That's all I wanted to come here and say something that's 
a little bit in the favor of the Raptors. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Hey, you do what you got to do. But looks like that is it for us. Thanks again for joining, Wahaj. Let them know where they can find you again. All right, we're at, at Back to the Basket Podcast on Twitter, and you can always email us as b to the b podcast at gmail.com. And look forward to the upcoming season. We have a lot of new guests lined up, especially you guys. We're going to have you on as well. And, uh, yeah, this season is looking to be really exciting. So uh, I'm excited to uh, talk basketball, talk shop all the time. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Let's let's hope I kill you in fantasy next week. Oh, no. (laughs) You know what, Wahaj? When, once we beat you in fantasy, I'll come on your show again, and then I'll remind everyone that I beat you in fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of talk. We'll, we'll see it in action next week. <laughs> Sounds good. But for sure, can't, right, we'll can't wait to come on to your guys' pod. That definitely, uh, definitely will be fun. Um, but anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure you guys check out BasketballSocietyOnline.com. A lot of exciting things coming uh, in the near future, especially when the college season starts. Uh, and make sure you check out the rest of the podcast at the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. And, of course, make sure you guys subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts. helps us uh, get a little bit more exposure and be able to bring more content to you guys as well. So thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. Peace.